everyone, welcome here. And we're here at Holistic Investments and I'm your host, Konstantin Koglin. And I'm delighted to have here a very special guest, uh, Dimitri Buterin, who's a serial tech entrepreneur and uh, a person with, with uh, very deep philosophical views, uh, which I'm very excited to explore and uh, to discuss um, not an easy topic um, today. And uh, uh, it's, I, I, I want to notify that it's not going to be a, a traditional conversation about like, you know, tech or investment. We will open our hearts. We'll talk openly about the, the, the burning issue, which is happening with uh, the war uh, with the Ukraine and with Russian invasion and talk about different aspects of uh, and views. So hi, Dimitri. And I, I want to hey, start. Constantine. Yeah, I want to start from like from you telling the story. Where were you born and what? Because yeah, I know you were born in Russia and I want to hear your story. Right. What was your experience and, of Soviet Union mm -hmm. and transition? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was born in the Soviet Union uh, in the part of the Soviet Union called Chechnya in the city of Grozny on the south of, uh, of uh, Soviet Union. And uh, that's where I grew up. And, uh, you know, growing up in the Soviet Union, it was uh, fascinating, you know, looking back at that. A lot of indoctrination. And basically, by the time I was a teenager, it was pretty clear that uh, this indoctrination, you could see how fake that is. Uh, but it was still deeply embedded in so many aspects of life, right? And then I left Grozny, I went to Moscow, I went to university, I studied computer science. And then I started my first uh, business, and basically, uh, which was in uh, uh, high tech and software engineering. And I... Uh, and I basically, I've created a number of businesses. I moved to Canada 22 years ago, just about the time that Putin came into power in Russia. So that about the time I moved to Canada, I've been living here in Toronto ever since. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's really fascinating to observe the whole, so many things happening in my own life, you know, looking at my own eyes, you know, the existence of the Soviet Union, falling apart of the Soviet Union, invention of internet, uh, birth of Russia, creation of the blockchain, and I have a front seat because of my son who created Ethereum, and now observing this uh, unimaginable tragedy and crisis that we are seeing uh, the invasion of, into, of Russia into Ukraine. So, yeah, I, I want to ask you a few, like, um, questions for the historical context first. Like, you know, obviously, being born in Chechnya, you understand, as not, not like no one else, like, you know, the, the very peculiarities of the, what, whether, like, the spirit, the mentality of the people. And what, during the two Chechen wars, like, you know, which, you know, is very, like, we can draw the, some, some parallels what's happening right now in Ukraine. Can you compare what, what was it for you and how do you see like, you know, the uh, Russian government acted back then and what is happening right now? Right. Yes. Um, so by the time the first war started, I was already have left Grozny. So I kind of watched it from afar. I still had lots of friends, lots of contacts mm -hmm. and uh, was because it was close to my heart. So I kind of watched that, but I was not physically there. And um, yeah, I do see a lot of parallels, right? And uh, first and foremost, I think that, uh, and this is one thing that, uh, that is really hard for people 
outside of Russia to understand is uh, that uh, the West, if we generalize, mm-hmm. for the most part, many countries, they have evolved, you know, there is a deep appreciation of value of human life. And uh, in Russia, that has not been the case back then. It's not the case still, right? So when the war has started, right, the Chechnya had about half of their population, the uh, ethnic Chechens, the locals, and half of the population were Russians who've been living there for a long, long time, like my parents. And, uh, and then the Russian army just uh, totally ignored any kind of human concerns. They just started bombing the city and using tanks and artillery and whatnot. And, uh, and then uh, lies after lies uh, on TV about what's happening, stuff like that. So, and that's, that's kind of very similar to what we see now happening in uh, Ukraine. Uh, so yeah, I would say that's the biggest thing is the disregard for the value for human life, right? And I think that, and the tragedy that we're observing, I'm also sensing that this can be a very powerful uh, point for the world. It's already happening. I can feel it, that uh, the understanding of their supreme value for human life will become even more obvious to all of us, you know, because obviously Russia is not the only one and, you know, that, did things like they did they do now in Ukraine and there were other wars Russia and Syria and US had their own messes in Afghanistan and Iraq right and in the past uh, we, a lot of the world was still you know many other places around the world and it was very common for us to look away and just not notice that and just live in our in our own comfortable world it's much harder right now for a bunch of reasons, including the fact that uh, Putin has uh, openly threatened the world with uh, nuclear weapons, right? And uh, if that happens, then yeah, it it was really nice to know you all guys, right? And it's really scary. Uh, And maybe maybe we can finally wake up to, to, to what is happening, right? And this is my hope as I'm seeing the world is uniting to support Ukraine, is that maybe we can also develop a better attitude, better processes, whatever, deal better with the future conflicts because yeah, conflicts will happen. No question about that, right? So anyways, I kind of went to a bit of a tangent, but to go no, back to, I, to you. I actually appreciate it. We have no, uh, no limitations on the narratives because look, I, I've been watching like, you know, just the historical context of what happened in Chechnya, like and back in the days on the first war, like. Jokhar Dudaev, who was actually predicted back in the days that Ukraine will be next, which is very interesting uh, that yeah. not many people actually remember that. Like, and he was a very wise person and actually was a real patri- patriot, like in a peace country. Yes. And he was assassinated for, for being a patriot. And, and as, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. a lot of, in a lot of places in the world, I mean, obviously for me, someone who was born in Kiev, this is very personal what's happening there, right? But I do agree yeah. that if for any human being who has like empathy, like, you know, if we cannot just disregard, say, oh, you know what, the things that are happening in Syria or Iraq are less important than it's what's happening in Ukraine. And unfortunately, I should mm-hmm. admit that for till, till, like, till now, actually, that's what was happening. Like in Syria, listen, we have 
4 million casualties, like registered death, like, you know, the, the, the mm. use of chemical weapon, you know, and, and a lot of like really terrible atrocities, right? And, you know, the world was somehow silent. Obviously, there were resolutions of like, you know, uh, you know, national assemblies, like, you know, NATO, or other, yeah. but, but they, they didn't work. Okay. So people closed their it eyes. Did, so, yeah. Yeah. Same with Afghanistan, as you mentioned. So now we're having yeah. Ukraine, which is, the, the justification was that, oh, you know what, in, in, let's say, Syria, like Assad, like, which is himself as a dictator, right? So he's a crazy dictator. There's a complex, like, you know, ethnical groups conflict. And, well, it's far, somewhere in the Middle East. Now, Ukraine is kind of this more of a democratic state, like, you know, that is actually like, you know, um, like didn't threat anyone with not like anything, right? So the artificial reasoning of even getting there actually is is is, is a nonsense. Well, not for Russians, right? Exactly. Because you know, when I talk to some people in Russia, actually, just today, uh, mm -hmm. a girl who was my classmate in school, who was my first love, and she told me that I'm a fascist, that uh, uh, I should die, right? And uh, and another classmate wrote to me and she also explained to me that I'm totally bonkers and, you know, I'm supporting Nazis and whatnot in Ukraine. I'm like, oh, my God. Right. And the thing is, like, I know that this is the reality and that reality did not happen like this. Overnight. But it's been built over the years. Right. Because I've been watching the path Russia took in the last 22 years. And it's been, you know, that... Uh, uh, that story about a uh, frog being slowly cooked. That's exactly what happened in Russia, right? Because, yeah, you know, Russia was doing well and doing this and doing that. And then it, you know, attacked Georgia and the world didn't do much, right? And then it exactly. attacked yeah. whatever, Ukraine in 2014 and the world didn't do much. Then, you know, Putin killed, uh, had the main opposition guy, Nemtsov killed. Oh, not a big deal, right? And even a year ago, Putin had uh, their current opposition leader Navalny poisoned with chemical weapons in front of the whole world, right? And uh, and the world still was like doing stuff and sending papers, but was not really acting, right? And uh, and Putin was watching all of that, right? And uh, and I've never met him; I really don't know, right? But observing things and you know listening to interviews, observing what's been happening. The metaphor, I guess, I would use for him is he's a big bully, right? So when he feels he that uh, people are afraid, then he uses that to his advantage, right? And that's kind of been leveraged to the utmost extent here yeah. in Ukraine as well, because, yeah. Did may I ask you, did Vitalik ever meet Putin? Uh, Vitalik uh, briefly met him for like five or ten minutes uh, within oh, okay. some kind of business conference, uh, which he attended in Russia some years ago. So he never really spoke to him. And again, like uh, Putin is a guy who doesn't even have a smartphone, right? He he's not into technology. But for Putin, it was important to be seen around all these business leaders and smart technological leaders. It's all about his image. Mm -hmm. So yeah. It's really interesting because I saw his position active, also active position again against this war and like, you know, bringing up uh, to the consciousness of the, like a lot of people that like this is this is yes. not should not be happening. And, uh, and but I know he had a big tour in Russia because, again, let's be honest, like, you know, the Russian speaking developers and like generally the audience from. Yes. It's, it's like one of the like one of the biggest adoption of crypto is Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. 
That's ironically, right? Yeah. And that is why there's a lot of smart engineers just by, by default because the Soviet Union machine produced like yeah. engineers, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so it's, it's, it's really crazy that we're a country with a, a, a huge crypto potential, right? And, and, and generally overall, like human being potential now has been completely us- isolated due to activities of one leader. And this is something interesting that you brought, brought up that he doesn't even have mm. a phone, which I think, and, right. I, and correct me, this is my subjective opinion, that he's now being in a situation of, uh, of his mental trap that, I mean, he's like in yes. like Brezhnev times, Chernenko times, and they will handing like their leaders this paperwork mm. reports, like right. someone who doesn't know how Soviet yes. Union general secretaries work, like there were special secretaries who prepared them reports, right? And provided them information. And they all have special interests. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. do you yes. believe that they were somehow deceiving Putin and saying, oh, you know, oh, we're such a great power we have great military you will go to ukraine and nothing will happen you know they will just surrender yeah let me share a few thoughts on this like one is uh on the one hand you know differently i see Putin as the key figure in what happened uh, you could see that from his televised speeches and other stuff that yeah he's the guy who is their ideological driver of this and, you know, when I talk to some of my friends and they have connections high up in the government, everybody's in disbelief, like, you know, no, nobody could have predicted that this would, would, would happen. Like, even in Russia, in high echelons of power, uh, people were thinking that this is just kind of a strong bluff. Uh, on the flip, you know, however, I also want to say that Putin is a reflection of uh, history of Russia, right? Because... Uh, Russia has never become a free country. Russia has only abolished slavery, what was Kripasnoy uh, Prava, right? I think it was in like 1862. Uh, and uh, Russia never seen anything even close to democracy, right? So they ended slavery in 1862, uh, right? And just 50-something uh, years later, there was a revolution, where lots and lots of people were killed, lots of violence. And then the Stalin times, again, millions of people killed and Holodomor in Ukraine and many things. The Second World War, which the Soviet Union first played on the side of Nazis uh, and which was uh, carefully uh, filtered out during my indoctrination uh, uh, of Soviet history growing up. But later on, I discovered all about this. And I was like, it was so shocking to, to find out about all of this, right? And, uh, and so Russia, in Russia, people grow up with a lot of pain in them, a lot of fear and uh, violence and aggression is, uh, is a very common escape for a human being. When you live in extreme fear and you trying to deal with that, then kind of one of the strategies you trying to be violent, you trying, you become very aggressive, trying to somehow control the wall to get rid of your fear, right? So Putin is a, is a product of this environment and, uh, and people around him uh, who have been directly benefiting from his rule, people who were indirectly benefiting from his rule and supporting him, right? And then also all their people who've been 
really masterfully using propaganda to play on the same themes, right? Because again, when you have people who have never been truly free and full of fear, then it's much easier to sell them stories like, oh, you know, that scary NATO is getting close to your borders. Oh, Ukraine is developing nuclear weapons, chemical weapons, they go into it, like all kind of bullshit. Because again, when you're scared, then your fear is always trying to find the reason, like, why am I scared? And it's trying to find that reason somewhere outside, right? So whenever you find the story that's plausible, that kind of connects with that fear, then your human being is like, oh, finally I found the reason. It's, I'm, I'm, I feel so scared. I feel in so much pain. It's all because of NATO. And if we deal with those bastards, then I will be happy and whatever, right? Yeah. So, so the story of fear, the story of greed, the story of violence, all of that, that's the psychological structure of humans in uh, ex-Soviet Union and this whole region, right? And that, 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 that is really their big reason behind what we are seeing happening right now. So basically what you're saying, if, uh, if I can summarize it, if there's no harmony inside, you're starting to search for external reasons instead of trying to find something within like your, like yourself or within your own country where you can improve things. And I mean, it happened historically, like, like interestingly enough, like a lot of times with Russia, like even like Nicholas II attacked Japan also because his country was in a very dire condition, like back in the days, economically, it was in disaster in like 1904, like people were desperate, they were poor. And he's like, oh, by the way, well, let's go just like conquer some country to cover up like you right. know, what's happening inside the country. And, and many times that happened, but, but here's another thing, like what I'm, I'm just curious to, to hear your opinion that like, there's a lot of speculation that he's basically, we're trying also ideologically to rebuild Russian empire or whatever we call it, not even so right, right, closer right. to the empire to, yes. to showcase the importance right. that, you know what, Kiev, Rus yeah. is now the center. Yes. Yeah. There's no other logical reason. All this demilitarization, denazification, those are like crazy excuses which are... Well, we don't, we yeah. don't do things for logical reasons. Logical yeah. reasons uh, is our story of how we explain things, but things are not happening this way. And also, I did not finish answering your previous question, but just to comment, I do think that people around Putin over the years have created this atmosphere. I mean they created an atmosphere that he wanted, right? And he's the guy who hates dissent. You can see that he never been in like public debates, right? He, mm -hmm. like whenever you can see him in some very rare occasions when he's speaking in public and somebody objects to him, that he's really flips out, right? So he's always been living more and more in his own bubble, right? And just kind of carefully, you know, subconsciously we select for what we want. And that's exactly what happened, like, you know, People around him over the years realize that if they bring bad news, then they suffer. So they try to bring him good news, right? And uh, given their astounding, unimaginable level of corruption that's been present in, in Russia pretty much always, right? Uh, uh, and uh, that's the saving grace of what is happening, right? Because again, the analogy, it's, there are so many analogies between what is happening now, what happened in the Nazi Germany, and the saving grace of this is that Russia is a paper tiger, you know, and yes, it has lots of money, lots of other stuff, lots of smart people, but it's not a technological power, you know, like, and it's fully corrupt.
fully through all of its institutions, including the army, right? So yeah, there is no doubt in my mind that uh, uh, all the people around Putin, Putin had this ambition, and I'll talk to that too. And you know, okay, you want to be this great leader who unites again this wow. Russian Empire, and then people around him, they're like, yeah, sure, yeah, this is so we can do this. We have powerful army, and you know those. Uh, Stupid Ukrainians, they, they are weak, they have all kinds of stupid stuff there, blah, 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 right? So, and then reality at some point, however complicated our story, or, you know, how strong it is, it faces reality, right? And um, about Putin too, like, uh, I also, in terms of psychology, right? Like, when you look at uh, his behavior and other things, uh, uh, my guess is uh, the last two years of COVID times, that's been also part of... Uh, uh, what's been affecting him, right? Because uh, looking at the, his meetings, when he's meeting up with people over this uh, long, long tables, right? Like 10, 20 meter tables and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, given and the fact that he's been sitting in a bunker for the bulk of their last two years and all those other details, you can see that this is a guy who is deeply paranoid and a lot of fear, right? And again, like, so here's a guy who's very scared and his mind is like, okay, what is the reason for my fear, right? And it's trying to, that's how human psychology works. So we're trying to find the reason somewhere outside, right? Yeah. And uh, this is the guy who found the, that reason in NATO and Ukraine and whatnot. And, uh, and, uh, and given, uh, also kind of wanted to comment a little bit, right? Uh, Putin came into power in the end of 99. And, uh, and it's been after about 10 years of Soviet Union, very painful times for uh, people in the Soviet Union because Soviet Union fell apart. The whole economy just disappeared, huge inflation, unemployment, yeah. worse in Chechnya, all kinds of stuff, right? So, and we also know that things in the universe, whatever we're talking about, when they go down, eventually they go up, right? So after 10 years of this really painful stuff, it just happened that he came into power when Russia was coming out of this really deep, dive you know into really hard times right so for the first eight eight years of his uh, uh presidency well the world started to trade with russia russia is recovering you know we creating all this economic dependencies all of this collaboration a lot of good stuff is happening right and again human ego the way it works we always try you know when stuff is happening around us then we always associate it with ourselves right so there's no doubt for me that you know, the, the Putin ego is then like, oh, it's all me. I'm the savior, right? You know, oh, and then some people start to criticize him. It's like, you know, who are those idiots? You know, they should be, they had some people beaten up and eventually some people killed, right? And in the meantime, because of the way the whole country is governed and all of the corruption of the stuff there, that initial, you know, growth started to stall and, uh, and then for his ego over time and it's like uh, he cannot accept that he he's actually one of the big reasons behind this right so then he is always looking for who do i blame for this right and what do i do to uh prove to myself and prove to the world that i am this strong powerful leader who is doing something awesome for russia right so kind of i think that the story that he's been believing now for a long time is that he's this uh, great leader who is destined to bring Russia to greatness. And instead he's, he has brought Russia to total ruins now. Right. Yeah. And uh, within just a matter of 
couple of weeks. I mean, Russia was before that, like not having a great time with their economy. Listen, the economy was less than New York yeah. State, New York State economy. Like, like, you know, so not even yeah. we're not even talking about the United States. People can talk whatever they want about Cold War, but Russia was never strong in the current state, right? It was never strong. In fact, it was a super dependent on technological yes. like advancement advancement of the West. Now they're cut off from Swift, Visa, MasterCard, Apple Pay, a lot, a lot of like vendors all over the world. And they're actually, their only hope is like to um, get out of money from the from their country is crypto. So now another thing which I want to touch upon, Biden uh, actually today <laughs> like signed this like uh, like uh, uh, treaty, like whatever, whatever. We'll see exactly what it means, but they basically like you know, uh, an uh, an agreement that like now they're gonna be more regulating cryptocurrencies and they're gonna mm-hmm. create new departments. Yeah, I've seen some first level commentary on this, and basically people yeah. saying that this is not saying anything. Exactly. It's, it's so just for a now, generic statement. But but yeah. but what's important to understand why he did that, right? So because apparently his advisors are saying that Russians are massively like getting the money out with the cryptocurrency, and there is no way to stop it. That's why let's try to somehow regulate an impact like on one level, right? So so mm-hmm. that's one one of the hypotheses. So when I hear your opinion about right. it, it's even if it's true, because yeah, it's important, right? Yeah. Um, and again, like, I'm just a guy. I'm not some kind of, you know, geopolitical expert or anything like that. So what I'm sharing is just my own personal opinions, whatever they're worth, right? And uh, in the current picture, also, we have to, in, in Russia, at least, it's uh, it's being sold to the publics that, you know, the West has the, is sanctioning us, but we still have friends in, in uh, India and China. And we will be fine because that's where production ha- is happening anyway. So China and India will be supplying all, all the stuff we need. We'll be building all the stuff we need, blah, blah, blah. So Russia, kind of that's the current story being sold to the public. And I don't know much about, you know, enough about geopolitics to kind of know whether that's how that's going to play out. Um, and I also want to comment on the fact is that uh, right now, Obviously, there's no doubt is that uh, their number one priority is to stop this war with any and every mean possible, right? Like the, the horrors of what's happening, like just today they bombed again another hospital in the Ukraine. And like, Mater- maternal it's, a, it, it's Yeah, it's really hard to watch that, right? So, so all the san- sanctions and, and everything that's being done, uh, really the world is trying to apply as much pressure to, the, to Russia in the hopes that this pressure will translate to Putin and his circle of supporters and somehow affect this, right? And it's it's not a very effective strategy. It's very blunt. It's very knee-jerk, right? Because uh, a lot of the sanctions that have been applied, when we look at them, when we think about the measures that have been implemented or the measures that actually people are talking about, they don't make a lot of sense in terms of uh, they will affect people in Russia, but indiscriminately, right? They and, and uh, and obviously, in terms of uh, Putin and the elites, they have much thicker skin. Yeah, they have all the resources. They have the power. So, you know, like getting them is much, har- uh, much harder. So what we're doing right now, we heard in Russia, but it means that we're hurting everybody in Russia. A lot of really good people, too, like uh, 
I don't know what is the percentage, it's really hard to evaluate, but I'm guessing that 15 to 30% of Russians are actually opposing Putin. And they, people in Russia, they're trying to protest and being brutally oppressed and blah, 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 right? And many of them are very smart people, people who've been using, you know, uh, credit cards and people who've been using crypto and blah, blah, blah. And now we're doing things that are affecting them, right? As well as others. So, so it's, uh, it's really, again, it's really important for us. Yes, let's do everything to protect the people. Let's do everything to stop the war. Next order of business. Okay, now, and I really hope in my heart that this will happen soon. Next, or, next priority, next order of business. But let's now dismantle the Putin's regime, but let's find a way to protect their, the weak, the innocent, their suffering people, not just in Ukraine and other people in other countries, but in, in Russia itself, right? And it's really hard because Russia, Russian economy, as you said yourselves, has not been doing well, right? So the percentage of people in Russia who are poor and very poor is, is huge. It's un unbelievable. Like when you look at the stats, you know, from top of my head, it's like easily 30% or probably more than that, right? And when you come across some other stats, it's like, you know, at this day and age, like something like 20% of people in Russia, they don't even have, uh, uh, what do you call this? They're, they they use outhouses for toilets, stuff like that, right? Yeah. So like it's, obviously people are, uh, yeah. and it, the life will become very hard for them first, right? So we'll have to be very careful how we do this, you know, how we deal with all of this stuff. And, and going back to crypto now, right? For example, uh, there were calls from many people in Ukraine, uh, to, to all the centralized exchanges that they should stop serving Russian people, uh, you know, uh, and, that happens. and so on. A For lot. me, that, does, that doesn't make a lot of sense because like Putin, his oligarchs, his supporters, they, they are not using crypto accounts KYC under their own name. You know, they always have all kinds of short accounts and, you know, people and, you know, other country passports and stuff like that. So people who are using crypto in Russia, well, a lot of opposition uses crypto because they've been forced to, to do that, right? And a lot of other people. So it, it's a very indiscriminate instrument, what we're trying to do. So if we go back to, to your question about uh, Russia, and, Russia and crypto, right? So gonna, uh, on the one hand, the question is like, can Russia use crypto to avoid sanctions, right? And obviously the biggest thing for Russia is uh, to get revenue by and Russia doesn't have the, that much stuff to sell what they have is they have lots of oil and gas and other stuff right so that's the question is like whether the, the world will be able to find a way to stop them from using that because the more resources they have the longer the suffering of everybody in this whole region will continue the whole Putin regime and whatnot will sustain itself uh, and whether that will be through Crypto or India and China. I don't think that crypto is a likely tool that will be used in this game just because of the scale and whatever other stuff. So now the question then becomes is uh, what about crypto for uh, regular people in Russia, right? Um, and this is a very difficult question. There's no easy answer to that because also like when I look at some of the measures, uh, internet providers are cutting off access to Russia. Yeah, okay, we understand why, because there's desire, inflict as much pain as possible to stop the war, yes. But also what's happening is that people who at least had a channel to get information in and out through internet, now they just 
have TV, right? Which is just propaganda and whatnot. So kind of so for us to figure that out, how can we regulate and manage this whole process in a way that will be supportive of people in Russia, but would not be supportive of the regime and the sustenance of the regime and you know this whole craziness of, uh, of what they have. So that's that's really the question. It, it is a tough question because I'll be honest with you. In the beginning, when it started, uh, I I deeply emotion on an emotional level. I felt that you know what, as you mentioned, inflict as much pain as possible. Why? Because yes. there was there was this feeling of blaming people. Like, listen, majority of the sixty percent. There is a recent poll. Like, there is actually people who are. I'm sorry to this comparison, but I think there's zombies yes. who who actually support him. And I, I spoke yes. to those people online, who from a yeah. normal person I that I knew, to, yeah, uh, several mm-hmm. like like maybe ten years ago, I now speak to a person who's actually just like uh, uh, broadcasting, like as if he's, he was given a paper, like you know, a script. He's yes. broadcasting exactly yeah. what. Where was have you been eight years ago in Donbass and blah exactly. blah blah? Exactly, and, and, yeah. and this is really really sad because you know you see that this propaganda still works. Listen, Goebbels will be proud of Putin. Yes. Like, he, he actually he yes. manages to do. And look, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable what they managed to do. And the, he closed Twitter. Now he closed like YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So you're right. Like now, what happened? Like you know, even. The, the tools, the means, technological means that will try to provide alternative opinion of mothers to, to, to mothers from their children who were yeah. participated in war. And they're like, told, they're being told, oh, I, I was sent for, for training. You know, I didn't know where I'm going. And I'm sorry, right. we're killing civilians here. We're not supposed to be here. Please send right. this message to all the other mothers. And now yeah. they have a limitation how to do that. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is challenging. And I, I also want to take, listen, I, I spoke to a lot of rationals, you mentioned bright people who are trying to oppose or going out in the street with mm-hmm. an understanding that they're going to be thrown to this aftazak, or I don't know, yeah. you know how to translate it, like whatever. The, the, yeah, the bus. yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my friend today, you know, he just messaged and he said, you know, I went to protest and, uh, been bu- brutally beaten. They broke my tooth. They broke two of my ribs. They damaged this and that. Yeah, this is what it is. But the other, on the other hand, like, you know, for people who, you know, going back to Ukrainian side, for people who are afraid to do that, I just want to say that, you know, you have to also understand, God forbid, you would need to experience when your 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 grandmother, your father, your mother are being bombed. Yeah, no in, question in, about this. Yeah, like, there's, there's no comparison. You cannot blame them. Yeah. yeah. So so you, yeah. you 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 have to also. They are in extreme pain, and you know my heart goes out to to Ukrainians. If I really respect people who are going out, to be honest, and and then the other side is silence and indifference. So that happened. That the. I saw also in crypto community, it was very interesting, uh, like where we see now, yes. it's split. We're talking about the values which are libertarian, so to speak, where people supposed right. to kind of work with decentralization, there's no central yes. authority should go away. But we can see that, as you mentioned, crypto has become very centralized and it's being controlled by certain powers, right? And then people who were supposed to be neutral and, and kind of use the technology for the greater good, they also express what they see, like, you know, and say that, you know what, we don't need you, uh, you idiots, like, uh, you go to go to where you are, like, in terms of Ukrainians, like, we're not, we're trying to even address the issue. So, 
my question to you is probably, what do you think is a reasonable solution here, right? Obviously, decentralized uh, technologies can help only so much, right? And people are raising charitable organizations. $50 million was raised for Ukrainian government in a mid, like in a few days, which is amazing. Like, you know, I know that Vitalik donated, I know Gavin Wood donated, a lot of great names from crypto donated, and this is a huge respect mm -hmm. how we can become unified. But imagine centralized exchanges are banning people in, in, in Russia and the way from the people I know, they, they do buy crypto OTC, basically from the streets for cash. Um, yes. Now, what do you think is going to happen next? Like, you know, with, uh, with the situation uh, in, in both in Ukraine and Russia? Uh, well, I think that my personal guess is that all of their events that are happening right now, they will accelerate our adoption of crypto for many different reasons, right? Because uh, people in Ukraine, they have seen how efficient it was and uh, getting support, getting donations, you know, like uh, I'm in this uh, group chat with a whole bunch of uh, crypto people and they're doing so much awesome work, you know, using crypto to uh, fundraise, to send money here and there, to support, you know, their local defenders, stuff like that, whatever. So that's one kind of angle. Then people in Russia, they are, they've been cut off from the outside, but again, humans are like water, right? They always try to find a way and crypto is one way that's unstoppable. So yeah, centralized exchanges, yeah, you know that in crypto, you don't really need centralized exchanges. It was more convenient for many people, but it's not like you really need them. And uh, for most people that's becoming, uh, Oh, now for people in Russia, it's uh, okay if you cannot use centralized exchanges, but you can still use all the crypto functions, right? And then for many people around the world, this whole situation is a, oh, wow, they did this. So it's just like a reminder, like, uh, you know, that saying, uh, uh, not your keys, not your coins, right? So that's a good reminder of this uh, whole thing. Like, okay, if you keep in your crypto through centralized exchanges, then they are at risk, like, anything centralized. Mm -hmm. So I think that there will be, there is more uh, awakening now to the fact that, uh, oh yeah, that's why decentralization matters, right? And to give you one example too, is like, uh, for example, Solana, right? So Solana, another attempt uh, at, uh, to be a leader in crypto and they've done reasonably well, but they sacrificed a lot of decentralization to achieve what they have achieved, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, for it would be very easy for uh, U.S. government if Solana would be somehow involved in the current thing, right? To to just basically stop them, right? Because of how centralized they are, their servers, their teams, and stuff like that, right? So it would be much much harder to stop. Well, it would be impossible to stop Bitcoin or Ethereum in this way. But yeah, can they stop Solana? Yeah, can they stop some other something like BNB and whatnot? Probably, right? So, so I think that uh, current events will actually drive further adoption of crypto. And uh, and yes, it's like uh, it will continue this. Uh, we will continue this cat and mouse game because any and every technology will always find all kinds of uses uses that society currently considers to be negative and positive and uh but uh it's uh technology evolution is unstoppable right 
And for me, it's always, uh, it's not really like trying to find technology doesn't make any sense. You know, let's like, let's focus our efforts on the actual problems, right? Because uh, we humans, we are always uh, trying to kind of, mm, we're always trying to find a way to be safe. It's like when uh, uh, 9-11 happened and then all kinds of KYC and AML and blah, blah, blah. Life has become so much harder for doing all the basic things with banking and this. I don't know if it has become, if it made life much harder for terrorists because, you know, we come across all of this stuff, this huge banks like HSBC and this and that, they're doing all this huge money laundering operations for whatever they, they want to, whoever wants to use their services, right? But a regular person who wants to do AML, you know, who wants to just do some basic stuff, now they just like so much all of this stupid AML and KYC bullshit, right? And the same thing is here, right? Like, you know, we humans, we try to like, oh, can we find some magic solution that will stop bad guys using this technology? No, the answer is no, right? So let's not try to fight the windmills, but I think that if we can focus on the actual problems, underlying problems, right, and really deeply think about this, and it's really hard, right, because then we, again, get into politics, right, and in politics, it's not about yes. achieving stuff so much, but it's really about looking, confident looking like you're achieving stuff, and it's all, it's all about appearances, right, and for me, that's my other hope that, and we have not seen that happen yet, but I think that this is one of their next big frontiers for crypto, is to increase transparency of politics and to reduce the feedback loop, right? Because the current democracy, the way it works, you elect this guy, he gives you a lot of promises, then he does who the hell knows what for four years with very little oversight, and then you elect the new guy who gives you new promises, right? It's like, you know, the, the transparency of this is abysmal mm -hmm. and, you know, no feedback loop. And I think that crypto can help us solve a lot of this stuff, right? From if we were to use crypto and we had much more transparency into all the government expenditure and all of this for on the one hand, but uh, also things like uh, direct democracy, right? You know, things that are now becoming very common uh, in crypto, you know, all those uh, DAOs and the governance process, the voting snapshots, yeah. blah, blah, blah. You know what? Let's keep moving toward doing more of this stuff in crypto. And actually that would be my big hope that maybe Ukraine can be can become the world leader in doing this kind of it, stuff. It, it, it is already. I look at the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I look at the leaders, right? Mm -hmm. I'm really amazed at the transparency and the humanness that they've brought to this process, many, many uh, Ukrainian leaders. So I think that it's it would be such a perfect thing for them to like, you know, as uh, we, the whole world supports rebuilding Ukraine, you know, it would be such an awesome opportunity for Ukraine to become the world's crypto leader. I actually want to advertise a little bit of Ukraine in this context because Ukraine is number four in adoption in crypto in the world. Ukraine has one of the largest uh, blockchain engineer hub in the world. About, if I'm not mistaken, yes. according to the last report, 160,000 qualified engineers, uh, blockchain engineers, mm -hmm. one of the biggest number in the world. Ukraine actually, yes. the first country in the world that actually put on blockchain documentation like you know like uh like passports like you know that that it's the first country in the world that actually um uh on a national level accepts uh digitized version yeah. of your passport 
uh, the same as a paper version, right? And mm. driving license as well. So you don't need, no longer need to yeah. carry the, like, you know, the, uh, the paper version, like, you know, it, you have it on your iPhone, that's enough. So there are a lot of beautiful innovation. They have the, the Ministry of Economy and, you know, and uh, transformation. And like, you know, I mean, you've seen this, the, the uh, Mr. Federer, like, you know, the, he, he actually was uh, contacted by Elon Musk also like with, you know, this, yeah. the provision of uh, Starlink and other like, mm-hmm. I, there's no doubt in my hand whatsoever that Ukraine in five to 10 years, when it's going to be over, it's going to become the next Switzerland, but better, like in terms of mm. adoption and technology and everything. Now, yeah. now, and, and, and this is, I'm being very, I'm not even exaggerating. I, I, I can see that like uh, realistically happening, like people will come back hopefully and people will feel, once they will feel safe, this Putin regime will fall. And I don't want to speculate how it will fall, but I believe like there's so much negative energy yeah. that's attracted that it's inevitably will fall. But my it question is inevitable you, now. It's yeah. I, I want to ask you. I want to ask you just um, what do you think is going to happen also now, right? You know, because this is like the question that you know we're not geopolitical, like you know, an analytical guys. So, so we, I prefer to talk about certain practical issues. For example, for even for people who are in Ukraine right now, the banks are not working perfectly, right? So you can buy crypto, but there are certain limits. If the country in the state of war, there's not enough cash in the banks. Yeah. You cannot even cash out. So crypto in this context actually brings great transactional value for paying for services. That's how a lot of charitable mm-hmm. organizations are using to buy humanitarian aid, to buy a lot of things and uh, so this is one side of the coin. So, so the second side for, I, I want to speculate here a little bit and I want to pick your brain. So Russia so far with Kazakhstan are one of the top two mining uh, uh, countries in the world. We're, ta- we're talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum. I, I'm not sure about yes. others, right? So because mm-hmm. of the fact that you cannot purchase, there's limits to purchase crypto on centralized exchanges, do you believe that people will start investing more into mining to be able to somehow get crypto? That's the, because there's not a lot of investments they can do right now. Stock market is dead. Hmm. I mean, from my perspective, mining is a dead end because uh, uh, Ethereum, the current plan, and it's been going really well. The current plan is that Ethereum will go to, from uh, proof of work to which we refer to as mining to proof of stake. Mm-hmm. within the next let's say four months right and that brings down the reduction in energy usage uh, d- drastically and whatnot so mining is such an, an, an proof of stake uh, algorithm uh, now we're talking about not mining they refer to this as uh, validators validating right no, uh, and uh, it's much more uh, democratic if you will because now for people to become a miner it's actually as a one guy, you, it's impossible for you to compete with big uh, uh, miners just because they can buy electricity at a huge discount, they can buy equipment at a huge discount. But in proof of stake, everybody, do, your dollar is the same dollar of you know as the other guy has. Yes, you might have more dollars, but at least you're playing in the same uh, kind of uh, playing field. So I don't think that uh, mining, like I think that once Ethereum switches off from you know to proof of stake. Uh, and I, it's happening, you know, it's been, it's like in the final stages of testing, 
And I know that the really smart people have been working this for many years. And I think once the world can see that, then it will be really hard for Bitcoin to maintain that, that yes, mining is the way to go, just because, again, it's uh, crazy inefficient as an uh, algorithm to uh, uh, handle uh, blockchain transactions, right? Because the whole idea of mining is that all of the miners they have to constantly run their hardware so they can prove to the system this is how much hardware you have. So really, you're just kind of like wasting the energy, wasting the cycles to constantly prove to the system how much uh, equipment you have, right? And proof of stake, it's much simpler. It's like, okay, you put this much money into escrow, this is your, this is, uh, and the system knows how much money you have. So kind of that's your relative uh level of uh, trust that system can assign to you based on that, right? So I think that uh, mining as such, uh, I, I really have no clue, but I'm thinking that it'll, it'll go out of fashion very quickly once Ethereum switches, uh, so maybe within the next two years. And, and I know that Bitcoin is very tightly focused on that, but I think that they will have hard time dealing with that for a whole bunch of reasons, but also given the current energy crisis, right? Because yes, Bitcoin mm -hmm. uses some green energy, blah, 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 whatever. But end of the day right now, because the world is trying to get rid of its dependency on Russian oil and gas and energy, then uh, there are spike in energy demands all over the world for other sources of energy. So all, all other energy consumers will have harder time. So, so kinda, that's another factor that will kind of make it uh, uh, less likely that mining will be a big deal, you know, at least in the short term as this is happening. What is your prediction? And as you mentioned, in four months, once uh, like Ethereum community finally will go to full proof of stake, what's going to be between the ratio and dependency between Bit Bitcoin and Ethereum? You mean correlation as a... Oh, sorry, correlation. I mean, the correlation between the, those two uh, assets. Yeah, I think it's still pretty high. But I think it's uh, it has uh, decreased a lot, and uh, again, like uh, you know, when we're going through difficult times, then we people we we paint the world black and white. Putin bad, Ukraine good. You know, this Russians bad. Well, Russians are not bad. Russians uh, whatever, hundreds of million of all kinds of people, for example, right? And uh, uh, you know, now in this time, oh, cryptocurrency we lump it into one thing. Well, you know what? Bitcoin is one thing, Ethereum. Then you have all kinds of things like HADA and whatnot. And uh, a lot of the stuff that, you know, pure speculative play. So I'm thinking again, like I'm obviously I'm very biased toward Ethereum because I know much more because of my son, because I'm much more plugged into the community. But when I look at all of their, uh, actual useful things that have been built and being built on Ethereum. You know, Ethereum is really becoming a platform that is used for so much stuff from stable coins to NFTs to very complicated financial instruments, you know, there's DeFi and whatnot. And, and now to reputation systems and a bunch of people are actually doing some very cool decentralized social media stuff. So uh, that's uh, Ethereum is finally actually fulfilling its dream. So I think as a, as a, of being their world computational platform, right? And it's very different from just a very simple function of sending money around as Bitcoin. That decoupling is happening between this, those two assets. And I think as we kind of go back towards somewhat more normal times, 
uh, I think that this decoupling will actually accelerate because again, the trajectories are very different for uh, Ethereum versus many other cryptos. I would agree. Yeah, the, the amount of decentralized application built on Ethereum is still like you know increasingly dominant as uh, comparing to any other chains. And even with the criticism, I think uh, it will still be res like very resilient to these changes. And uh, um, so I. I, I really enjoyed talking to you, Dimitri, honestly, like, and I, and I know that uh, we probably can, could have talked about these topics for, for hours, but I want to ask you, like, for this time and for this particular interview, like, kind of my last question, you know, like that, I uh, mm -hmm. ask almost every guest, like, I think, um, besides, I mean, you have your professional side of you, you have your human being side of you, and you're, 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 you're the kind of unique person who's trying to always be genuine, regardless of, you know, where, in which, you know, in which circumstances you are. So I want to ask you, what is the meaning of life to you? Well, this would deserve another podcast, a couple of hours <laughs> in conversation, but it's actually um, much more simple. The meaning of life is whatever we make of, of it, because life is actually, is absolutely, totally different from what most people think, the way it works. Uh, and that's actually the underlying reason for a lot of their suffering in the world, a lot of all of these conflicts and other stuff, because again, in, the, in human mind, there is this uh, uh, idea that, uh, oh, here's me, I'm separate from the world. And how can I get more for me, more joy, more money, more safety, and, uh, and without any regard to other human beings. But uh, in fact, <laughs> This is just like a, a story being created in a particular human brain. So we actually are just one big entity, right? And then within each human being, based on its uh, environment, its programming, all of the stuff, it creates its own version of the world. So actually, how are 7 billion humans in this world? There are 7 billion different versions of reality. And yeah, Putin has his own reality that creating this empire and attacking Ukraine yeah. makes sense and whatnot. Okay, and, and on the one hand, I can, I can never understand that. But on the other hand, I can perfectly understand that because he doesn't live in my world. I'm the only one who lives in my world, in my perspective, right? And the thing is, like, uh, when, when we stop searching for the meaning of life, and we observe, like, you know, the intrinsic human nature of what we are, it's all very simple because life is really, it wants to live, it wants to evolve. Life is full of compassion. Life is full of creativity. Life is like, you know, if you look at children, you can see more of what life is really about. It's really about investigating and creating and having fun and giving people hugs and sometimes crying and just being human, you know, so it's not about some complicated stories of, oh, we're going to get there, going to, oh, well, we'll get all kinds of cool stuff. And they're amazing humans from Elon Musk to Vitalik to other wonderful human beings who in their pursuit of curiosity, creating, you know, building new frontiers of life here, right? But again, like uh, the meaning of life for, for you, that comes in your heart and your, if you will, universe, and you know what is right to you, for you, right? And uh, yeah. No, it's beautiful. I mean, you're, you're right. It's, it's, 
everyone has their own answer, but uh, I, I appreciate that you provided yours. And uh, um, I really hope that, uh, you know, this war will end soon and uh, we're, we're, yes. just, we're just going to restart uh, a normal way of things and, and, and start asking the right questions, start asking questions about the meaning of everything that is happening and starting to rethink our interactions between not only the countries and all this geopolitical, you know, BS in my opinion, but but uh, but about human beings, right? You know, how 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 do we how do we make sure that this historical context that are repeating itself over and over again will will somehow teach us something? Yeah, and. Um, I will share in the description some of the links of the charitable organizations, you know, like I, I, I urge people who are like willing not to be silent, you know, like, and just, uh, uh, it's important. Uh, and it's, it's, it's nothing to add. It's just important right now, uh, to have a dialogue, right. You know, you can see that, you know, Dimitri, let's say lives in Toronto, I live in New York. Like originally he's from, he's from Grozna, from Kiev, and we can like communicate as human beings. It's like, it doesn't matter yes. that like someone was Russian, someone was ethnical Ukrainian, Jewish, whatever. What is important that we were, were able to have a normal dialogue. And that's what I really wish that, you know, the war will end and we'll restart this dialogue. Um, I really appreciate your time, Dimitri. A lot of valuable lessons, you know, like uh, I've, I've learned from you. Hopefully we'll do it again. And uh, thank you so much for supporting Ukraine. Thank you for, for not being silent. Thank you, Constantine. It was really good to talk to you. Yeah. The war will stop. It will. Yes. Thank you. Thank you.